Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Years, session 410. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. I'm excited about today's episode because it's a little bit different We don't talk as much about the pre-med journey, but we talk about the journey itself with Cheryl, who is a DACA recipient. Now, a lot of students have reached out to me to to ask if I've ever had a DACA recipient on the podcast, and now I can say I have. You're going to hear how Cheryl went to Canada from India and then came to the States at 10 years old, and his journey to medical school now as a first year student in medical school. We're going to talk about all of the normal struggles that pre-meds have and then the extra struggles, especially emotional, when it comes to being a DACA recipient and all of the unknown that comes with that status. We have a great conversation, so I hope you enjoy and hopefully this will give you some hope if you are also a DACA recipient. Cheryl, welcome to the pre-med years. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm excited to chat with you uh, and really learn about your story. And I, th- I think your story is going to help a lot of students who are in similar situations. But I want to start with my my favorite question. When did you realize you wanted to be a physician? Uh, yes, that question. <laughs> I've been practicing it just for you. But um, I guess for me, I've always been really good at science and math. And in high school, I realized that I really loved meeting new people. So I thought the health professions would be a good fit for me. And then college hit, and I did the basic pre, or pre-health pre biology track. After my first year, I became a CNA, and I got to really like um, be there with patients and be a part of the patient care team and form these like meaningful relationships. And that really set in stone of like me wanting to be a physician, like that I wanted to lead the care team to impact these patients and uh, continue helping others. There are a lot of students who are 
good at math and like science and want to help people. Did did you have any familial influences on wanting to become a physician? Anybody in your family in healthcare, nurses, doctors, anybody like that? Actually, no. Um, I guess the only thing would be my sister um, became a respiratory technician during my third and second, yeah, second and third years of college, but that was about it. A little bit later after you've already were on this path. Interesting. What do you think it was about healthcare that stood out for you? Because again, a lot of people are smart and like science and want to help people and still aren't called to healthcare. What do you think it was for you? I just, I guess like those interactions with those patients, because being a CNA in the rehab floor, we had a lot of geriatric patients and I purposely tried to take all the time I could to get to know them, get to know their stories. And in that way, um, been able to like cheer them on when they were feeling anxious. And some of them really had trouble, like, cause there was a rehab floor with broken hips and stuff. They had a hard time walking, but just slowly like encouraging them. Um, filling them with confidence, being there for them. And that really like touched me deep in a sense. And I just wanted to continue that feeling. Nice. Let's talk about, I think the the biggest part of this conversation will be that you are a dreamer, a DACA student. And so I get so many questions about, do I have any DACA information? Have I ever had a dreamer on? And you're my first one, so thank you for reaching out and, and volunteering to to tell your story, to tell um, those who are listening about some of those struggles that are unique to dreamers. But let's start with really the the permission that you gave yourself to actually go down this path, knowing that there are potential hurdles in place as a DACA applicant. What what? When did you get the courage or the permission or or whatever it is that I'm trying to say to actually know, like, I'm going to be a doctor. I don't care if I have a legal status in this country or not. This is what I want to do. Yeah. And that one was a tough point. Like, uh, that was a tough, like, point to get to. But I think it really started when I think in 2017 as a doctor's recipient, uh, the Trump administration shut down that program and then they give Congress six months. And that was probably some of the worst times in my life where constantly I was checking the news every day, hoping that there would be an answer, hoping that there would be something better and ultimately just not finding anything. So during that time, I did a lot of like self-reflection, talked to my support system and thought about the experiences that I've been through and realized that at the end of the day, there's going to always be obstacles. but I have enough confidence in myself to know that I can pursue these goals uh, wherever it be, however it can be. Like, I'll just keep working hard and trying to get through it, take it one step at a time if I have to. And thankfully, here I am. <laughs> here you are. How did you go about actually doing the research to say, can can a dreamer actually apply to a U.S. medical school, get into a U.S. medical school? How did you do that research and ask those questions? Yeah, it was actually just a lot of Google searching. It was a lot of going online, typing DACA recipients, med schools. Mm. And one really big pillar that like gave me hope was a school in Chicago was some of the first ones to accept DACA recipients. And they were DACA medical students. So it helped that there were some other people in the position that I wanted to be. Yeah. I never really contacted them, but just like having that little bit of hope gave me a lot of hope. 
And during the time when uh, the Trump administration wanted to shut down the program, the AMC gave a very profound message supporting DACA, and that was reassuring. So from that, I thought, okay, if these medical schools are willing to take DACA applicants, then I have a shot. Yeah. What do you think is different for a DACA applicant to medical school versus a, a normal, a quote-unquote normal applicant? Yeah, um, there is a lot of differences for specifically like application-wise. Um, I think 160 medical schools in the U.S., only about 70 accept DACA applicants. A lot of state schools. I'm from Tennessee, and in my undergrad, there was a state medical school right across the street Sadly, I couldn't apply there because they didn't accept DACA applicants. So you have to find, uh, you have to really hone in on your school list and ask these questions of like, if these students or if these schools do accept DACA applicants, how do they do it and what kind of support that they could provide? How did you, did you reach out to schools and say, here's who I am, here's my story, will you accept me, please take me? Uh, I wish I did, but no. uh, Thankfully, AMSAR, or AMSAR mm. has a really good information um, right there where it says if DACA applications are accepted by these schools, and if so, if there's any special consideration. Mm. I applied to both MD and DO schools. Sadly, um, DO schools didn't have that information up front, so I had to email and call all 36 DO schools in the United States personally and yeah. ask them if they do take DACA applications. And if they do, do they consider us in-state, out-of-state? Is there any special circumstance that I need to do? Mm. And there was about 12 that did accept these applications. And I made a little spreadsheet of it, and I think I posted it in your Facebook group too. Nice. I'm, I'm going to have to grab that and just make a post on my website so people can Google it and find it. Um, that, sure. That'd be great. So talk about the undergrad process. Maybe there's someone listening to this as a high school student who uh, is a DACA recipient uh, or in community college wondering about that next step to go to university as a DACA recipient. What was that process like to to go to school as a dreamer? Yeah. Um, for the most part, it was pretty normal. The hardest parts about it are just getting into school and then also like finding funding for school because as a DACA recipient, we don't really have access to any federal resources, including um, HOPE scholarships, Pell Grants, federal student loans even. So thankfully, like I received an honor scholarship that paid my tuition and I lived with my mom during undergrad so I could save costs. But figuring out like the best way just to get into school and like how you're going to fund it. And that was really it. But other than that, you know, you're just a typical student, except that you have to renew every two years and you have to go through some hassles with like paperwork. Renew your DACA status? Yes, sir. Yeah. And all of that has to be passed to the school, I'm assuming. Um, Thankfully, the schools don't really or at least my school didn't really ask for that information every two years. Um, I think like for them, it was as long as I got in, I was okay. Yeah. That's nice. So I think that's always a big question mark for students is the, the funding part of it. So it sounds like you were blessed enough. You worked hard enough in high school that you had good grades. You got a, a merit based scholarship to go to undergrad. 
What's that process like for medical school? Because I'm assuming it's very similar to an international medical student where you, you still don't have access to those federal funds. How, how are medical schools treating DACA recipients in terms of uh, asking for money and, and how you're going to pay for school? Yeah, and that was like a big um, worry point about me for starting school. Um, sadly, still can't apply for federal student loans that a lot of my peers do. Um, and medical school scholarships are a little bit harder to come by. So I've had to personally just rely on private student loans. And the two main companies that I was looking at was Sally May and Discover. Mm. But with that process as a DACA recipient, you still have to find a co-signer that has a worthy credit. So if you guys are like thinking about this process and if you're early enough, definitely start looking and start asking these questions about who can be your co-signer. What does that process look like in, in terms of just loan terms and all that? Are they pretty competitive to federal loans? Um. One company was ridiculously high, and me and my family <laughs> just could not handle that. Yeah, um, I don't know if you want me to name names, but the it's other company, <laughs> yeah, I'll just say it. I have no shame. <laughs> Sally Mae interest rates were re- were really high for me and my family, and we just couldn't handle that burden. Yeah. But Discover Student Loans was a lot more financially reasonable for us, and they were fairly competitive. So I felt like you know it was a good choice. Yeah. Did you do a lot of research into, and this is just from my background, understanding uh, private loans versus federal loans, and while you're in residency, a lot of students will forbear their loans, meaning they don't have to pay them back for a while. Obviously, they're still earning interest. One of the biggest kind of catches with private loans is a lot of them don't necessarily have that forbearance built in, and even in, in residency, you still have to pay back those loans when you're not making a lot of money as a resident. Did, are these loans specific for medical medical students and you have some flexibility there with that? Did you look into that kind of stuff? Yeah, thankfully, both of those companies did have like health professional loans specifically geared towards medical school. And they I think they understand the process of like residency and deferment. So yeah. there's a couple options there. Yeah. What has been the hardest part about the pre-med process for you, whether it's DACA related or not? I honestly think the hardest part for me was because that we talked about the DACA recipients and the DACA cards being only two-year terms. Mm -hmm. Um, I started kind of never planning for the future because everything was on a whim. You never knew what was going to happen the next day. So it's really hard to like plan for the future. So I could only think in like really short intervals and that was pretty hard of planning because, you know, medical school planning takes a couple of years and you have to think you have to have somewhat of good foresight, but it was like fighting those two aspects. I'm just kind of just having that hope and belief that somehow, some way things were going to work out. Yeah. Talk about for a second, for someone who doesn't really understand what a DACA recipient is or who a DACA recipient is and and how you get that status. Talk a little bit about your journey to the States and and what what that actually means in the the kind of grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, So I was born in India and then around like five years old, my parents moved to Canada, lived there for about five years. And then we came to the United States um, without the proper documentation. And I've lived in, very nomadic childhood of 
Alabama, Florida, New Hampshire, Mississippi, Florida, Tennessee. <laughs> and then with all that, um, in high school, DACA had just started and is a program for letting children that came into the United States undocumented before a certain date, before the age of 16, to allow them to have a social security and a worker's permit. And that really, during high school, I didn't really think too much of it. And I was like, oh, cool, like I can drive now. You know, like <laughs> typical high schoolers do. <laughs> this is the most important thing I, as a high schooler. Yeah, for sure. That freedom is unparalleled. Yeah. But once you get to, um, once I started like actually looking at colleges and thinking about my future, that's when the program really like had its benefits for me where I believe that it would allow me to like reach these higher educational goals that I had for myself. Yeah. And what's, what's the process for you as a DACA recipient to hopefully eventually get your citizenship or at least permanent resident status? Or is that just, it's all up to the administration and the courts at this point? Um, I don't know too much about it currently, but the only options that I've seen so far is yes, like the first option is hopefully the administration will find a legal pathway for us. Mm -hmm. If not, the other option is marrying somebody that is a citizen and then getting your legal status through that. Yeah. Well, that's that's why I went to medical school to, to find myself a, a sugar mama. So Hopefully you can find your, your sugar partner at medical school as well. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> so fingers crossed. There we go. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of students potentially don't understand uh, whether you're a DACA recipient or um, an undocumented immigrant in this country uh, that you actually participate in taxes and, and do all of that as well. So um, I, I think there's a, a lot of misinformation about what uh, what you all actually do out there in the world and, and for this country. And um, so anyway, talk about the the medical school application process and the interview process. What do you think stands out for you as a DACA recipient? Did it come up at all during your interviews? Uh, was there anything different about your applications? Talk about that. Yeah. Um. I personally made it a point for it to come up because this is, I think like we've mentioned on some of your podcasts that I've listened is that these med schools want enriching experiences with students and they want different students with different experiences. And I believe that being a DACA recipient, you have this experience into like a, these communities that not many people have. So I personally made sure to write about being a DACA recipient. And during the interview, um, I would add, if they would ask any about like uh, overcoming challenges, DACA would be the first thing I would talk about. And I would share with them my struggles and my successes. And thankfully, um, most of them responded to it well. Yeah. Do you think there's a difference? I, I think someone listening to this who's maybe of uh, Latin descent coming coming from South America or Mexico as a DACA recipient, do you think there's a difference for them versus you as a DACA recipient from India? Um, I think so. Um, just because there are some biases within the Latin community of like undocumented immigrants, which I thankfully haven't had to face, but they do exist. And I haven't really been able to be a part of communities of like other DACA students. I've usually been like one of the only ones that I personally know about. So 
those are the only things I can think about, but I just don't really have that much insight to give a better answer. Yeah. So just uh, potentially some some more bias out there. I think obviously you as um, uh, South Asian, is that India, South Asia? Um, yeah. South, South Asian descent, uh, obviously I think a lot of people stereotypically wouldn't think of uh, someone from South Asia, so Indian descent, to be a DACA recipient. But uh, obviously, DACA isn't specifically just for uh, Latin or Hispanic immigrants. So, just something else to to think about in this journey. Talk about being in medical school. You 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 talked about the administration, and it was only last year or several months ago, I forget when it was that the Supreme Court made a DACA decision, a temporary one that I think a lot of people on the left thought it was a win. A lot of people on the right thought it was a win and nobody really knows what's going on. Talk about just that constant fear and and pressure. You're supposed to be in medical school learning this new skill and these, these new, um, these new this new knowledge that you're supposed to build upon to be a, a future healer, and yet you're always in my mind. I would assume you're always kind of looking over your shoulder, going, "Am I going to have to leave school tomorrow?" What is that like? No, yeah, that's a good point. It's really tough, honestly. And I'm usually one of the go with the flow, uh, relax sort of person, and just take it a step at a time. But it's really hard not to worry about those things because this is ultimately like where I want to be. And just thinking about having to leave is very heartbreaking. So based on that, um, actually, it's kind of sad right now because with the decision from the administration, instead of two-year renewals, now it's only been shortened down to one-year renewals. Mm. Yeah. But with all that, just at the end of the day, you can't for me i've kind of given up hope that i can change anything from an administrative standpoint so the only thing that i can control is how i work around it um how i view things so i just try to take things a day at a time and i'll cross those challenges and those bridges when they come up but that doesn't mean i'm going ignorant into these things i've talked to to deans of my medical school to see like what options there would be if like I could if I couldn't continue with school or if my legal status does change yeah. and thankfully they've been really supportive here for me from a psychological standpoint I, I I'd almost want to ask the question like why even bother why 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 put yourself through this in this country in a, in a country that potentially from at least from an administrative standpoint uh, doesn't doesn't seem like it wants you here why not go up to Canada and go to medical school and go practice in in Canada no I have definitely thought about that too <laughs> but at the end of the day um, even whatever the administration or others view me as I view myself as just as American as, as my peers I've rooted myself in these communities. I want to help the people that I've met so far. I want to be a good impact uh, around here. And I guess like that's what kind of keeps me going and just the goals that I have set for myself. Yeah, that's awesome. What is, let's get a little personal here if it's okay. Talk about 
from a family situation. I think obviously you came to Canada at five, you came to the States at 10 roughly. Talk about the the kind of emotion that you have around your your parents you you being in this situation now going like why didn't you do this the right way <laughs> why why are you making my life so hard is is there that sort of torment around uh, around family life or you're like it's just is what it is and I'm glad to be here anyway um maybe there was a small thought of that but all of it nowadays and um just this greatness of just realizing the sacrifice of my parents and just looking up to them and respecting them because yeah. they did this because they wanted a better lives for me and my brother. And that's how it would, I feel like a lot of immigrants are here for because they want better lives for their family, for their children, for themselves. So they can achieve dreams that they never would, that they, that weren't possible for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't really, I don't have a resentment for that for them. I'm thankful that Whatever challenges that they went through, they did it for on my behalf. So it's always from a grateful attitude that I think about their choices. Nice. That's perfect. What's the hardest part of medical school for you? <sighs> Wait, b- before I ask that one, talk to me yeah. about the day you received your acceptance. What was that like for you? Oh, man, that was so surreal. It was so cool. Um, the school that I'm going to now was actually my first interview and my first acceptance. And I got that acceptance when I was um, on another interview, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Peace out. I don't need you anymore. (laughs) That's exactly. Oh, actually, that's not how it felt, but it was just so (laughs) cool. Um, I guess, like, to, like, more in-depth of that story, I was in New England, and I had a friend in Boston. And he picked me up, and um, it was around Valentine's Day. Uh, We were going on, like, Boston Pier, and we could see the water and the docks. And I got a call around six o'clock saying like, hello, is this Cheryl? And I'm like, yes, who is this? And this is, they said, this is Dean so-and-so from so-and-so medical school. I'm here to give you an acceptance. And I, I don't, I think like I didn't hear him properly. I said, are you sure you have the right person? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, yeah, this is the number that you gave us. And I was like, oh crap, this is really setting in. And as soon as um, I ended the call, a little bit more grace gracefully i started screaming i just started screaming and running around i was like oh my god i'm in i'm in and i immediately called my parents yeah and how did they take the news oh they took it so well they're yeah. so happy and they're so excited yeah it's like all all of their sacrifices finally paid off at least the the first step of paying off you you getting into school yeah yeah i feel like i think it may have meant more to them than it did to me at that moment but I never really talked to him about it that in depth. Yeah. So let's let's go back to the other question. What's the hardest part of medical school? Obviously, we're in COVID time, so everything is different right now. But do you, do you potentially think that's helped you with the transition to medical school? Do you think it's hurt? What, what's this process been like for you? Um, medical school is a beast. There's <laughs> so we're currently in anatomy, so there's just like so much content. There's a little bit to know about the body, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you just take that a day at a time. But for me, because of the COVID situation and not being able to be as social as I would like, um, it's been a little bit harder because I think I'm a little bit of a social person. But with that, you know, you just take one 
thing at a day at a time. And especially as me being a DACA recipient, I think I learned a lot about resiliency. And that's definitely hopefully going to come in handy for the rest of my medical training. Nice. What do you think the future holds for you? Hopefully graduation. <laughs> hopefully being able to stay in the States, being able to graduate. Do you, do you have a specialty in mind? Um, right now I don't. I'm kind of like interested in a lot of things, but just based on personality, I kind of like chaos and like seeing different things and diversity of aspects, maybe emergency medicine, yep. but I'm open to all suggestions. Open to all. Good. Keep an open mind. And when you start all of your rotations and stuff, just soak it all in. What's the, the biggest piece of advice that you could give to a DACA recipient out there who uh, is, is struggling on their journey, wondering if medical school is an option for them? Yeah. I guess the biggest piece of advice is to reflect on yourself, reflect on your experiences in a positive way. That DACA recipients have had to overcome a lot, have had to overcome like all the emo emotional and mental stress of just being a part of that program and think about all that you've done and just have confidence in yourself that you can do this and that you will do this. And I guess like ultimately that's it and just rely on your support system and just keep chipping away at it. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the the application process. Right? There's a there's a lot that goes into an application, a personal statement, all of your extracurriculars uh, for the MD application. There's the disadvantaged essay. There's all the secondary essays. How much did you either purposefully try to force in or keep out the fact that you're a DACA recipient? Um. Yeah. So with. The prime, or with the primary application and the disadvantage essay, I did talk about my status as a DACA recipient and overcoming these challenges because I had talked to a pre-med advisor and I asked her if that was okay to put down and she was very supportive of that. And think, retrospectively thinking back on it, there are some hurdles that you have to go through as a DACA recipient that you absolutely should share. Yeah. Um, for the secondaries, I only talked about DACA and my status if it was applicable to that question if it asked about like what was the biggest thing that you've had to overcome yeah and a big difficulty and like how you learned from it or how do you show resilience yeah. but other than that i would answer it like um just other questions i would answer normally with whatever experiences that i did have yeah good and that's that's the the perfect answer, I think. Uh, a lot of people try to force in their agenda into every question, and it's just like you didn't really answer the question. It's like a a very politician way of answering a question. Be like, that's a good question, but I want to talk about this over here. Um, so, right. so obviously, it worked for you. What was the final tally with number of schools you applied to, number of interviews and acceptances that you had? Yeah, um, I applied to a lot more schools. <laughs> I applied to probably, I think it was 32 schools in total, Nice, which is a lot, which is a lot of writing, but in my it's head, a lot of money. Thanks. yeah, a lot of money too. Did, let me ask you a, just a quick side question there. Yeah. As a DACA recipient, does the AAMC allow you to apply for the FAP, the fee assistance yes, program? Do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, I didn't apply for it because it, I think it asked for parental income mm -hmm. and my dad, thankfully he had worked his way up to owning a small business. So Good. you know, we were relatively okay with financials and he was always about the education. So he helped me out a lot with those application fees. Yeah. Um, but with that, yeah, about 32 schools, 
Um, I received five interview invites, went on four of them, and got three acceptances and a hold. Yeah. Yeah. That's successful by any measure. And and how did you come to pick the school that you ultimately chose? How much potentially was there in terms of diversity and, and will they accept me as a DACA applicant? How, how much did that play into choosing where you wanted to go? No, that played a pretty big part because I had mentioned earlier, I made it a point sometimes to talk about my DACA um, status during these interview processes. And I would personally, at the end of the day, um, if I could talk to a dean or anybody in the admissions committee and talk to them about my status and my worries about them and just ask them what they could do or how they would be able to support them. And thankfully, a lot of these medical schools were very receptive and very supportive. Um, But at the end of the day, I just picked the school that I felt like would be the greatest fit for me um, with the DACA status, with the support. And also my personality, too. Awesome. So outside of being a DACA recipient, for for anyone listening, any pre-med listening, what advice would you have for them on their journey to medical school? Yeah. Um, I would say do extracurricular activities that you're really fond of. Um, Do things that you can talk about well and be excited for. Um, personally for me, I was a storytelling minor in my undergrad, nice. which is kind of unique, right? <laughs> and, but I really enjoyed that aspect. I got to do bedside volunteering at a hospital and tell stories to ICU patients and then ask them if they reduced in pain. It was a really cool experience just because I just pursued what I liked. Nice. And you, you sit at their bedside and read Llama Llama, Red Pajama? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Sometimes they'd fall asleep, but you know, I took that as a win. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry, continue. No, I mean, that's about it. It's just pursue what you are passionate about. Pursue what you feel like um, you, that you want to do. And even if you try different things, don't worry, just keep trying. And it's really helpful in the secondaries. It's really helpful in like your extracurriculars, being able to talk about like what impact these activities have given me. Yeah. And looking back on it, it's like you also have these fond memories. All right, there you have it. Again, Cheryl sharing his journey to medical school as a dreamer, a DACA recipient. So hopefully his journey continues smooth with no big issues and he can stay in this country and finish medical school and be a wonderful provider, a wonderful physician out in the community. If you enjoyed today's podcast, thank you for being here and enjoying it. I want you to go check out mapped at mappd.com for a free two-week trial of the new breakthrough technology that we're building over at MAPT to really help all pre-meds on their journey to medical school. Now, this isn't something that will help you just with your applications. This is something that we're building to help guide you along your whole journey. We had some great releases today as we're recording this, helping students dive even further into their GPA breakdowns and a nice onboarding wizard. If you haven't created an account yet, you can go create an account and it'll ask you some questions as you first log in and so much more is coming. So go check it out, mappd.com. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week where we have a great guest, Dr. Ricky Brown. You know him 
from TikTok and Instagram. He's the famous plastic surgeon on those platforms. We have a great conversation about his journey to medical school, the doubt that circulated in his, not necessarily his mind, but in the mind of his advisor, and so many other great conversations that we had. Great, great conversation that we had with Dr. Ricky Brown. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.